All right, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Wow. Well, I'm going to get right into it here this morning. Praise God. You know, we live in a culture uh, where we interpret everything through our mental conditioning. You know, we're conditioned to think a certain way, and, and, and the, the media is working overtime to condition you to think and to talk and to act in a particular way. And the way we think in North America is so vastly different than a kingdom ideal. Everything's about individualism, everything's about individual identity, everything's about me, 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 and nothing is about we. Nothing is about kingdom, and it's a stark contrast to king and country, what we have in our world today. So kingdom is a concept, is not something that's well understood, especially in North America. Maybe in the former British colonies, you know, that separated a little later than Canada and the U.S., and they may have some appreciation for queen and country. And therefore, when you start talking about the kingdom of God as a kingdom, they've got some points of reference. But here in North America, and no offense, Nikki, especially Americans, no offense to Mark, where we went. I mean, they're like, we kicked that king out. We did our own thing, you know, and uh, we said no, no uh, taxation without representation. We got rid of it all. So, uh, you know, and, and I understand that, but one of the things you have to understand is that the kingdom of God transcends the kingdom of man. Amen. And uh, so our civilization has a hard time, I think, with the concept of kingdom. And what we do uh, is in the absence of God's kingdom, we become our own worst and greatest enemy. Right? In the absence of kingdom, then we, we build wonderful buildings and then we bomb them. Right? We make weapons and then we use them on ourselves. Hello? We invent medicines and then what do we do? We withhold them from those that need them. Because, you know, giving medicine away would ruin our stock portfolio. Hello? We create the World Wide Web and then use it to corrupt people's minds. Wonderful communication tool and then we use it to pervert and twist people's minds. Hello? And then what's the church do when they see all this stuff happening? The church retreats into religion instead of establishing the kingdom. And religion's not the answer. Religion is not the answer. Everybody say it with me. Religion is not the answer. Yet religion's one of the most powerful forces on earth. And you see religion run amok, causing people to do all kinds of weird things, sometimes even deadly things in the name of their religion. And here's the thing you have to understand, is that despite people's claims to the contrary, everybody on earth is religious in one way or another. Everybody. Here's the definition of religion. It is the adherence to a set of beliefs that regulate the moral, social, and ritualistic behavior of the individual. So everybody has a set of beliefs that they adhere to that regulates their behavior. So this would include so-called atheists, secularists, communists, socialists, humanists. Everybody has a set of beliefs, a set of, of things that they, they adhere to that determines or regulates their behavior. And even in the church, what we have done is we've fallen back into religion rather than a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And religion 
causes more problems than it solves. What is the source of religion? Why is it such a a natural, inherent characteristic of humanity? Well, Miles Monroe, he put it this way. He said, religion is the result of an inherent hunger in the human spirit that man must seek to satisfy. This hunger arises from a vacuum created by the loss of something man used to possess, and it drives him to pursue answers beyond his own realm. That's quite the definition. Every person on earth is therefore ultimately searching for three things in life. And you need to start tracking with me because we're going to go fast from here. We're searching for three things in life. We're searching for identity, right? We're searching for purpose, and we're searching for power. Identity, everybody say it with me. Identity, purpose, and power. Everyone is looking for those three things. All of us are looking for a sense of identity. We have this desire in us to be needed and to be loved and to love. We, we have this need to be identified when we walk in the room that people know who we are. We have this desire to belong. And as we've taught here at Desert Stream for years now, we've been trying, to, and people are slowly catching on. It's permeating their spirit, and they're beginning to understand what we're talking about. But we tell people that your identity is not found in being a doctor, a teacher, you know, a pastor, a student, a mother, a father, whatever. Your identity is found in whose you are. You are a child of the king. You are a son, you are a daughter of the king. You are part of a royal family. That is our identity. It is, it is encapsulated in that. And so everybody's searching for identity and our identity is found when we find Jesus. When we realize that we were created by God and loved by God, all of a sudden we, our, our understanding of ourselves shifts and we know whose we are, therefore we have healthy identity. And you can live your, your life from that place of identity. But you know, identity for most people, is just the beginning. It's not the end. After we start to understand whose we are, then we need to know our purpose. And our purpose is where we answer the question, who we are. Right? I need to know my life's got purpose. Okay, so I'm a child of the king. But then my next question is, what am I here for? Right? So I'm a child of the king, that's good. That gives me a pretty healthy uh, view of myself. But now God... Why did you put me here? What's my purpose? And purpose has to come after identity, otherwise you get yourself pretty messed up, right? If your purpose is just to be a pro athlete and then you blow your knee out and you no longer can play and your whole identity was wrapped up in your purpose, then you don't know who you are anymore, right? But if your identity is wrapped up in whose you are, and one of my favorite guys on this, I gotta admit, is Tim Tebow. Here was a guy who was a Heisman Trophy winner. He's a number one guy, gets drafted. You think he's going to be the next Tom Brady. He's going to be the greatest quarterback in his NFL career. Was And yet when I was in the Philippines last time, you know, we're, we're in Davao in the city. And we, you know, Mike says, let me take, take you to the hospital where I had my surgery when I, when I broke my, uh, my uh, arm. 
He takes us to the hospital, and guess whose hospital it is? It's Tim Tebow's hospital. Tim Tebow's identity wasn't in being a football player. His identity was in Jesus Christ. And when he couldn't play football anymore, he didn't let that stop him. He just found a new purpose. If my purpose isn't to play football, maybe my purpose is to build hospitals around the world and help people that are in need. Maybe that's my purpose. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? So we all need to know who's where. We need to have that answer of identity, that question answered. But then we, we want to know, what am I here for? We all are looking to know who we are. And so, you know, uh, most of us, for that answer, we, we, we say to ourselves, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a pastor. I'm a, you know, for me, that would be my answer to that question. You know, my, my wife would say, I'm, I'm a, you know, a, a, a mama of the house. So she calls herself Mama Dowling, Mama of the house. And, uh, you know, I'm a, a grandmother, I'm a, I'm a mom. These are all the things we look by, we say, that's, that's purpose for me. It's even more important than a job or whatever, but you might find purpose in that as well. But, you know, those things are great. But here's the, the thing you have to understand. Your purpose in life can change. Right? If I'm, and if I'm finding my identity from purpose, I'm a lost soul. Because if, my, if I can't continue to do what it was that I was finding my identity in, then life for me is over. But if my identity is found in Jesus Christ, then my purpose can change. I'm not always going to be, you know, a lead pastor here at Desert Stream. I'm gonna, I, I plan to, at some point, retire and have different purpose. Doesn't mean I, my identity will change at all. My identity will be, I'm still a son of God, loved by him. But my purpose is going to shift. I'll find different ways in which God's going to use my life to impact the lives of others. My purpose can change. Your purpose might change multiple times in your life, but your identity never does. Are you hearing me this morning? So is this clear? Is everybody getting this? You got to know whose you are. That's your identity, right? Then who you are, that's purpose. And if you know whose you are, purpose can shift and change. It doesn't change. It doesn't destroy you. It just makes you better. You know what I'm saying? Tim Tebow wasn't destroyed. He just got better. Are you hearing me today? So then if our identity is in whose we are and our purpose is in who we are, then that third thing I was talking about, everybody needs to know the answer of power. We're looking for identity. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for power. Power. What do we want power over? We want, we want power to control our lives and our circumstances. We want power to determine uh, our own future. We want power to, to carve a path for ourselves and, and a destiny for ourselves. We want power over in life and death, which is kind of an elusive thing because everybody here is going to die. Just pointing that out to you. I know it's an obvious fact, but some people go, really? You know? Uh, the reality is we want power over our own happiness. Even the U.S. Constitution tries to guarantee people that power, right? To pursue happiness. Are you hearing me this morning? And we're looking for power. But here's what I learned. In the kingdom, power comes from knowing whose you are, who you are, and this third important thing, from to whom you've connected your life. Power comes from being connected to the right people. Power is not something you obtain by yourself. Are you hearing me this morning? You don't obtain it by yourself. If you do, you end up being a very narcissistic, self-centered, abusive person when you obtain power by yourself. Power was meant to be achieved together. Everybody say together. It's meant to be achieved together. 
What's the most incredible example of that? Is when a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else, right? And what happens is when a man and a woman get together and they love one another, they find a brand new power and that they're able to create legacy together. They have children and they create generation after generation. No greater power is afforded to us than to create legacy. And you can't do it by yourself. You got to do it united with someone that God has put you together with. And you see, this is the answer to life. Identity, purpose, power. We're all looking for it. And unfortunately, what happens is when you don't find identity in God, and then you try to find it in purpose, then you end up doing some really weird things with some really weird people and obtaining some strange power. You see how it all falls apart? Are you getting it with me here this morning? So here's the the truth. Every religion on earth is trying to answer those three questions. Doesn't matter if it's the religion of science or it's the religion of Islam or if it's, you know, any other thing. They're all trying to answer the question of identity, purpose, and power. Right? But God says, I have the answer. And you'll find it through my son, Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me this morning? The answer to the questions of life that religion has tried to solve is found in the kingdom of God. It's found in living our life as a child of the king and then finding our purpose in advancing the agenda of the king, which is the kingdom of God here on earth. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, or you can look at it on the screen, Genesis 1, verse 26. And it says this, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now this statement, I think, documents the most important declaration ever made over mankind. What's it do first? First, what does it establish? What we've been talking all about all along. It establishes your identity. God spoke and he said, let us make man in whose image? Our image. Our image. The identity question dealt with in Genesis chapter 1. Right? Whose are we? We are a child of the king. We were made in his likeness for crying out loud. The identity issue is the very first thing he tackled in Genesis chapter 1. Then second, it establishes uh, the purpose behind man's creation and existence. It says, let him have dominion. What's my purpose? My purpose is to have dominion. That word in the Hebrew is the word mamlaka, and it means to have sovereign authority or rule. That's what the word means. So God's, he dealt with the identity question and he dealt with the, the uh, purpose question in Genesis chapter 1. And he was saying, here's, here's what you are. You are a, my child and, and your identity is to be wrapped up in that. And what have I done with you? I've placed you here on earth and that I've given you dominion over this realm. You're to establish a colony of my kingdom right here on the earth. That's what you're called to do. That's your purpose. Wow. So can you imagine Adam and Eve like, woo, we've been created by the, 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 the master creator of the entire universe. We're a child of the king, and we've been placed here to establish his kingdom. Woo! That's pretty powerful stuff. 
Man was made in the image of God, then he was given a kingdom. Pretty good deal, don't you think? <laughs> uh, then thirdly, Genesis chapter 2. You have to flip to Genesis chapter 2 to get the third question. And God solves Adam's final need, and it's the need for power. So along with identity, purpose, man needed power. How is that power to be expressed? Through the power to procreate, the power to establish the future, a power to be able to take charge of his destiny to literally have dominion over the earth. And God gave him that creative, creative ability to do uh, what, what, what God wanted him to do, which was to, to go forth and to, to be united with Eve and to be able to establish a future, a legacy. And that's why in Genesis chapter 2 it says, you know, for Adam there was no suitable helpmaker to be found. Helpmate to be found. So the Lord caused him to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of his ribs uh, from his side and that he fashioned that rib into Eve, right? And we all know the story, right? God took him out of Eve out of Adam's side. Why? Because they were to work side by side. She was flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. They were to work side by side to have power to exercise the purpose that God put them on earth for, which was his kingdom. Do you see that this morning? This is incredibly important stuff. It's, and it's right in the beginning of the Bible, answering the most fundamental questions that plague humanity, all in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right there. So then what happened in the garden when man sinned? Well, he didn't just lose the ability to live in that state forever, and he didn't just lose you know, a nice cushy life and have to till the ground or anything anymore. No, no, no. What he lost was his kingdom mandate. He lost his mamlika. He lost his dominion. He lost his kingdom. He didn't lose a religion. He didn't even lose heaven. He lost his kingdom here on earth. Does everybody see that? Do you understand that? And it was physically represented by him being pushed out of the garden and the garden being closed off to him. He, he lost his kingdom. The fundamental message of the Bible then is not about religion, it's not about rituals, but it's about the establishment of kingdom rulership on the planet from the heavenly realm. And therefore, in practical terms, Jesus coming to earth in the Bible's story of Jesus is coming to restore man to his place with God so that he once again can have kingdom authority here on the earth. That's what it was about. You know, Jesus, as I mentioned last time, his face has been on the cover of time more than any other person, and yet it's shocking how few people really understand Jesus. And I'm not talking about the people that are secular people. I'm talking about how few people in the church understand Jesus. Christians have treated him as a founder of a religion. They've taken his teachings and transformed them into rules and regulations. And Jesus didn't intend for that. I hear Christians debating whether... You know, you should use an organ or a guitar in church and whether you should be singing hymns or whether you should be singing choruses. And frankly, I don't think God cares. One stinking bit. Hello? He doesn't care what color the carpet is. He doesn't care what color the lights are. He doesn't care whether, what programs you use. I don't think he gives a rip, a flying rip about any of it. Hello? He doesn't care whether you're you got your hair in a man bun or whether you shaved your head bald. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you like plaid or whether you know how to really dress like me. <laughs> See, he doesn't care. 
It don't make any difference to God. Are you hearing me this morning? What he cares about is what he sent his son to die to do, which was to restore you and your kingdom mandate. And he cares about that. God didn't, if God's only purpose was to get you to heaven, then for crying out loud, redeem you and take you in the same breath. Don't leave you here. But why does he leave us here? Because it's not about getting you to heaven. It's about working through you to transform the world around you. It's about helping restore your identity so that you can be about your purpose. Hello? And then why does he put you into a body? Because you're not meant to do it alone. You've got to do it together. Are you hearing me this morning? It's such basic stuff. You think we'd, we'd have gotten it by now. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it gets twisted. I was going to put it up on the screen, but it was going to be too many slides, and I didn't want to wear Adam's finger out. But I, back there, just up here one minute talking, back running pro presenter the next. I mean, just praise the Lord for volunteers. Did we mention next Sunday there's a volunteers uh, lunch here afterwards? Praise the Lord. But I want you to, I want you to picture religion on this side and the kingdom on this side. Everybody got that? So on the side of religion, what does religion do? Religion prepares man to leave the earth, right? The focus of religion is to make you holy enough, pure enough, so that one day you can leave this place and you can make it to heaven, right? That's religion. And most of us were probably raised in some form of religious thinking, right? But the kingdom is about empowering man to dominate the earth, to fulfill his purpose in this world, right? Religion, all the focus is on heaven. doesn't matter whether it's Christianity, whether it's Islam, where you're going to go and you're going to get your 70 virgins and all that kind of nonsense. It doesn't matter. It's always about heaven. It's always about some other yet to do, some time to come place. Would it surprise you to know that if you read through the Old Testament, there's almost no mention of heaven whatsoever? Very seldom they even talk about the afterlife in the Old Testament. Read it through yourself. You'll find some references in the Psalms, but if you dig into the history and all the rest of it, when someone dies, you know what they say? And they gathered his bones together and laid them with his ancestors. That's it. It's not that they didn't believe in heaven, but it's that the people of God in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, realized that it wasn't about just getting to heaven. It was about being God's people here on earth. So the focus on religion is on heaven, but the focus in the kingdom is on earth. The focus in religion is about man reaching up to God, right? Famous Sistine Chapel, right? You guys have all seen the painting? That's, that's the focus. But in the kingdom, it's about God coming down to man. It's about living incarnation in every believer, about God being incarnated in us and working through us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? In religion, everybody's trying to get off this place. And I hear preachers say it all the time. Oh, the world's getting worse and worse. It's the end times. You better be ready because God's going to snatch you up and he's going to deliver you from this abyss. Blah, 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 blah. And Jesus is coming back someday. Don't get me wrong. But he's coming back for a victory. 
victorious church. Hello? Isn't that what the Bible says? A victorious church. Not a victimized church, a victorious church. Not a cowering in the corner church, but a literally living out God's mandate, changing the world church is who he's coming back for. Are you hearing me? Man, where do we get this stuff from? It ain't even in the word. That's the church he's coming for. You know, religion seeks to take man from the earth and get him up into heaven. But kingdom is right in the Lord's prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, the kingdom's focus is on bringing the glory, the authority, the power, the rulership, the, the grace, the joy, the love of the kingdom down to here and living it out. That's what kingdom life is. Man, I hope you're getting this. Because if you don't get this, when I jump into the first principle next week, you're going to be going, what's he talking about? You got to take a hold of this. I read the quote one, somewhere once, and I'm going to try and be done in five minutes, so if you'll bear with me here. But it said, the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without purpose. Let me say that again. The greatest tragedy of life is not death, but it's life without purpose. I think that's so important because there's so many people, I hear people say this all the time, but they were so young. They died so young. And it's, and it's tragic, and I understand that. But I think we should say instead, you know, looking somebody regardless of what their age was, did they die purposefully? You know, were, were they focused on fulfilling their purpose? And some of us could fulfill that in, in a short time. Some of it might take a long time, but I want to be about doing it in God's time. I want to fulfill his purpose. And, and whether you live to be 70 or 170, it's whether you live purposeful that matters. It's not how much time you put in, it's what you put in the time that makes the difference. Are you hearing me this morning? So if all you're doing is just hoping to live long, please have a higher aspiration than that. How about living well, not just living long? I want to live long, but I want to live well while I live long. Are you hearing me this morning? I want to make a difference while I'm living long. I want to change people's lives while I'm living long. I want to be used while I'm living long for the kingdom of God. I don't want to just live long. I want to live well and live long. Are you hearing me this morning? Praise the Lord. So if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to protect your time. I didn't really want to have to deviate into this, but I think it's important. Time is the ultimate currency of life. Because we, we have so many years, we have so much time. Everybody's been allotted the same time, you can say. That's true. But how we use that time is what establishes our future. It establishes our legacy. It establishes what we leave behind. And... And one of the beautiful things about money is money can purchase you more time. I don't mean it can extend your life. I mean that if you have money, right? Let's give me give you an ultimate example. One of the things I hate to do more than anything else is grocery shop. I hate it. And if I was a millionaire, I'd, I would never grocery shop again. I would be able to invest my time differently and somebody else would be grocery shopping for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, so that's an example, an exaggerated example of how money gives me the ability to purchase my time, to regulate my time. Are you hearing me? 
And, 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 you know, many other examples exist, but you can work at what you want, do what you want. I mean, you have authority over your time, right? But if you're a slave to your paycheck, you don't have authority over your time. Am I making any sense? That's why we have to learn to invest our time and our money wisely. Because we, we all need to use our time effectively. And whatever we effect, invest our time in is where our priorities are, right? Now, there's a guy named Abraham Maslow, and he talks about priorities and people's priorities. How many have ever heard of Abraham Maslow? Sociologist? No one's ever heard of Abraham Maslow? Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You never heard of that? Didn't, didn't study that in school? My goodness. Gary, can you just explain that all to them later after the service, please? Just tell them all about it. Because it, this is fundamental stuff right here. Okay, so listen. Here's what Maslow concluded. He had, nine, he had a nine-stage hierarchy of human need, right? And this is what it was. Number one, number one, water. If you take water away from people, life is short, right? This stuff right here, you need it badly. Mmm, water. Number two, it's food. You might go maybe seven days without water, uh, that's it. But you can go 40, 50 without food, right? Some of you are like... 40 days without food. I didn't say you should try it. I'm just saying you can, you can do it, right? Number three. So one, water. Two is, is food. Three is clothes. We seek to clothe ourselves, to protect ourselves from the elements, to be able to, uh, you know, for purposes of, of, of work, different things that we do, we need to be clothed. Number four is housing. Number five is protection. Number six is security. Number seven, we seek preservation. Number eight, self-actualization. And number nine, significance. This is Maslow's hierarchy of human need. And most religions are built around the promise of God to meet those various needs. From water to, to self-preservation. We, we, we have a desire to have those needs met. And much of what we call faith is no, nothing more than us believing for those. Really, I'm just being honest with you. Now, here's the kicker. Would it surprise you to discover that God's priority for mankind is completely the opposite of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Don't believe me? Listen to Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Number three. Is life not more important than food in the body more than clothing? This statement directly challenges what Maslow said in his hierarchy of needs. His instruction tells us not to worry about the very basic things that Maslow says we're all worrying about. Right? Then verse 26. <laughs> Just keeps getting gooder and gooder. Matthew 6, 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns that your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add a single cubit to your stature? In this statement, Jesus is telling us that our self-worth is more important than our basic needs. That our value is more than what we have need of. And our value is more significant than our basic needs. Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, they, how they grow and they neither toil nor spin. 
And yet I say that you, not even Solomon in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today here and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. You see, the believer is motivated by our hierarchy of needs is completely the opposite of Maslow's. We start at number nine, significance. We start at number nine. I look at my life and the most important thing in my life is that I know I'm a child of the king. My significance is rooted in him. And I start there. And then I go to the next one. Eight in Maslow's list. Self-actualization. I'm able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am on fire on this planet because I know whose I am. I know now who I am. And you see, and then I work myself backwards through the whole thing. And by the time I get to the end of it, I have never one day in my life worried about what I was going to drink. Well, that's because you live in Canada. Well, you know, it's true. But my forefathers who came here with the right priorities worked it all out. And as a result of that, the legacy they've left behind is that I don't worry about number one. Are you hearing me today? My goodness, this is so important. So important. The believer, you and I, we start with significance. We start with our identity. We start with the fact that I am a child of the king. And then everything goes forward from there. I saw Jamie last week. When we were talking about John Maxwell. He said, you ever read John Maxwell? Like, yeah. Got a whole John Maxwell shelf in my office. But I remember being in Atlanta, Georgia, hearing John Maxwell speak, and, and he said, there's no greater tragedy in life than to have climbed the ladder of success and got to the top only to discover it's leaning against the wrong building. Hello? In other words, no greater tragedy than trying to find significance your whole life through doing, 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 doing. And then when you get to the top, you realize it's completely meaningless. That my significance was meant to be found in a building on the other side, which is Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. We start with our significance and we move forward from there. And so as we start next week, everybody say next week. Next week. I start with principle number one of the kingdom. It's the principle of transcendence. And we're going to unpack Matthew 6.33. Does everybody know what that says? Seek first what? Kingdom. kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. We're going to unpack that verse because that is the principle. The number one principle of kingdom is the principle of transcendence. And we're going to be looking at the meaning of that word. We're going to be looking at... The fact that I don't mean it in the same way that most modern people use the word, but we're going to be looking at it and it's and, and really what we would consider to be maybe older English understanding of what the word transcendence means. We're going to be looking at it as a principle that transcends all elements of life. 
But we're going to start there. And, and as we begin to unpack these principles, what I'm going to start showing you, and we're going to unravel together, is literally a strategy for literally, literally turning society upside down. Well, why would we want to do that? Because that's what the disciples did. You know, that's what they were accused of, right? The religious leaders got together and said, we got to do something about these guys because they're turning the world upside down is what they said right in the Bible. That's what we're supposed to be doing every day. And we're going to learn principles of the kingdom that God has given us and empowered us to turn the world upside down. Amen? Stand with me together. <sighs> I, I got to tell you, I'm, I am super jazzed about this because I, I look at all of our potential and when that potential gets focused because we understand that we're child of the king and we're children of, of the most high God and that God has plans and purposes for us. Man, when you get this stuff in your spirit, look out. Literally, it, there's no, it should be no surprise that the enemy runs tail between his legs when he encounters the people of God. Well, I don't know if he does that with me. Well, then get a hold of whose you are and who you are and he will. And, and I think as we get a hold of this stuff, it, it just makes us rethink everything in life. And I think that's where, I think that's where the church is at. If we, don't, if we don't look at our world today, and especially in the West, and see a lot of the stuff happening in our political spectrum and everything else, and think to ourselves, man, we, we should try doing something different. Right? Yeah? Look at it. If you don't look at it and do that, and you're happy with the way things are going, then maybe you don't need to listen to what I got to say for the next number of weeks. But I think most would say, most of us would say there's some room for improvement out there. Right? And, and if you believe that, then let's take a hold of what the kingdom says so that we can be instruments of seeing that happen by God's grace. Amen? So put out your hands like this in front of you. Father, we stand here today with our hands extended and we, to symbolize, Lord, that we just need you to put this stuff in our hands. Lord, we need you to drop it into our hands so that, Lord, knowing whose we are, we can go out and do the who. We can, we can be the best teacher. We can be the best pastor. We can be the best, uh, you know, business person. We can be the best. It doesn't matter if I'm a, a street sweep. I, I can be the best one that there ever was and that every person I encounter in my day, I'm able to help establish your kingdom. That I can be the best mother. I can be the best father. I can be the, the best uh, grandpa, grandma. I can fulfill my purpose because you're working in and through me. And Father, the principles that we're going to learn, the things that we're going to take on, Lord, you're going to use us, Father, to shape the world around us. And Father, we thank you today. And that, Lord, yes, one day we do look forward to being in glory with you. But Lord, we want to take as many as we possibly can with us because that's our kingdom mandate. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So don't forget, next Sunday, all right, Volunteer Sunday, we're going to have a barbecue afterwards. You grab everybody that you think should be a volunteer and you bring them out, you know, because uh, it's not just for people that have volunteered, but it's for people who are interested in volunteering. 
and we want you to be there. We wanna, we're going to talk to you about what that looks like. Maybe you'll, we'll explain some details of some of the areas you can serve, and, uh, and we're just going to help you with all that. We want to bless you. And then the week after that, uh, Ken's going to be in the house. It's going to be a great weekend. Don't miss any time with us here at the stream. God bless you.